here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show. Episode eight. This week, this is my way of feeding my sports addiction, my obsession, my compulsion with sports until Undisputed does return, thank God, next Monday. Thank you for letting me talk sports on this podcast at this moment right here, right now. I'm about to tell you why. LeBron James Lakers have turned into the polar opposite of Magic Johnson's Lakers that are about to be featured on HBO starting on Sunday night. That would be called Win in Time, The Rise of the Laker Dynasty. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I'm also about to tell you what I think about my relationship with Lil Wayne, and more importantly, why my wife's relationship with Lil Wayne is so important to me. I'm going to go deep inside both. And I will also, speaking of winning time, tell you why I just never like sports movies in general, because I'm such a deeply rooted sports fanatic. But I'll also tell you why I will watch winning time on HBO. And I'll also give in and tell you my all-time favorite sports movies, and you will call me crazy, I'm sure. As always, I'm going to get to several of your questions to me. But first up, as always, we start with not to be skipped. Here we go. LeBron's Lakers have turned into fakers at exactly the worst time for LeBron and his legacy. Because as I just mentioned, dropping on HBO Sunday night is winning time. The story of Magic Johnson's rise, the Lakers' rise through the 1980s, the Showtime Lakers. And unfortunately for LeBron, Laker Nation is going to take a long look at that as it airs weekly on HBO. And just like the documentary of two years ago, The Last Dance, as people started to compare Jordan in more detail to LeBron, and LeBron lost in every way, shape, and form as that documentary aired, Laker Nation is going to take one look at winning time and say, wait a second. They had that in the 80s? And we're stuck with this now? You are stuck. Thanks in largest part to LeBron James. And my biggest takeaway, after three straight home Laker losses, out of the All-Star break, that unless Anthony Davis can suddenly give them a huge boost down the stretch, and I have my doubts about that, this team is in grave danger of missing the playoffs completely, as in miss the play-in tournament, the thing that last year LeBron said, whoever thought that thing up should be fired. Well, wait a second, LeBron, without that thing, you very well could be out of the playoffs completely, and you might even miss that thing. Do you realize the Lakers have the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA? 
And the harder I look at the closing games, the last 20 odd games, the more I say, I just don't know. Can they win two of them or three of them? Maybe five of them. Could AD save the day in ways he never has been able to before with his low motor that runs more cold than hot? I I look at this and I say, wait a second. They're only two games up on New Orleans, who, who just the other day beat them by 28 at the crypt, as I call it, what used to be Staples. Beat them by 28 without Zion? They're only up two on them, two on Portland, which has gotten reasonably hot, obviously without Dame. And after trading away half of its roster and rebuilding, retooling on the fly. But wait a second. I I see one upcoming stretch at San Antonio, at Houston, and then back home for Washington. And I say, shouldn't LeBron James be able to win those three games in a row? Yeah, he should but I doubt he will. I'm looking at the Lakers trailing the Clippers by four and a half, five games. And the the Clippers don't have Kawhi and don't have Paul George. You're, You're kidding. This is the first time, and I hate to say this because you know how much I love talking about LeBron James. You know how important he is as the face of not only this franchise, but of the league to this moment. He is still that guy off the court in stature, in legacy, in aura, in magnitude, but not on the court anymore. This is the first time I've seen Father Time tap LeBron on the shoulder. Father Time is taking his toll on LeBron. And I didn't think I'd ever see that from Iron Man. He's just not the same anymore. This is the first time I have seen him age right before our very closing, cringing eyes. This LeBron is starting to look more like Michael Jordan at age 39 and 40 when he played in Washington for the Wizards the Michael who came out of retirement of three long years to play ceremonially for the Wizards, average 20 and six. Look, LeBron's having, you could argue, the greatest scoring year of a year 19 ever at age 37. He's still got a shot. He's he's still less than a full point away from Embiid for the scoring title. He's third in the league. Could he catch Embiid past Giannis, obviously, for second? Yeah, he could. But that's all LeBron's about now is trying to get his 30 and losing. Because I've said from the start, the man was born without a clutch gene, and now that is more glaring than ever. I'm looking at LeBron's name, and I think, you know, his new legal title should be LeBron, Ramon, James, Sr., CC, as in C period, C period, at the end of his name, which stands for can't close. LeBron has always struggled to close, and now he is a disaster on the order of Westbrook when he, LeBron, tries to close. 
I think Carmelo at age 37 in his year 19 could be a better closer than LeBron, but obviously mostly the ball is going to be in the King's hands, the phony goat's hands. And the phony goat is failing miserably down the stretch of game after game after game. I, I'm sorry. I, I The harder I look, the less I see from LeBron in the clutch. And let's start, let, let's go back, you know, two games ago, there was the Clipper game. At home, down the stretch, a game that was begging to be won by the quote-unquote home team, which that night was the Lakers. And you know and I know what happened. In fact, a close friend of mine texted me, I'm going to preserve his name, protect his name. But he texted me and said, LeBron's going to make a walk-off shot. He's a huge LeBron fan. You you know him, and I'm not going to say his name. He said in a text, he jinxed himself. This is the ultimate jinx text. Watch LeBron make a walk-off shot. So LeBron has the ball in his hands against the Clippers, the, the dreaded, hated Clippers. No Kawhi, no Paul George. And what does LeBron do? They're down one with a few seconds left. Just drive it, just attack. And he waits a beat until the double team starts to come to him, and then he gives up the ball to Melo. You know what happened? Melo was like shocked, like, wait, wait, you want me to shoot it? And Melo did what? only he knows to do at this point, which is shoot threes. And he goes up and shoots a quick three, sort of a short arm three that was woefully short. Lakers had one more chance to close the game. LeBron had the ball in the corner. It was a tough shot, a fadeaway three, nearly airballed it. But the point is, with 10 seconds left, all, all he has to do is just attack. Nobody can stop him. He still can play bully ball at age 37 like nobody in the league can. He runs from the late-game free throw line. I talked last week about that. I won't dwell on it this week. But he just wanted no part of getting fouled, having to go to the line and make one free throw to tie and two to win. He, he's just not going to do it because he's, by his standards, by superstar standards, a pathetic free throw shooter. And in general, a pathetic three-point shooter. So what happened against Dallas? They fell behind against Dallas by 21 in the second quarter. That is just unacceptable. And I thought, okay, this is finally the end of Frank Vogel. Finally, it's over. They have to change something, and they can't fire LeBron, and they certainly can't fire Westbrook, and they can't fire Melo. Surely this is going to be the end of Frank Vogel because somebody has to pay for this. Somebody has to go. And what happened? They roar out of the locker room at halftime and play the best defense they played all year in the second half. And LeBron James hit one of his rare hot streaks from three. He makes the first one. He takes a second one from the logo and voila, look what he found. It went in. LeBron made it a logo three. Go, go look at the stats of LeBron shooting logo threes in his career. It's atrocious. But he made one, and now he is cooking. And he takes the third one from the wing, and he holds the pose, and he hops it off. He's one-legged hopping backwards, holding the pose. He's got it. And it goes in. That's three straight threes from LeBron James, who came into the game ranked 97th 
of 157 three-point shooters in the league. So he's in the lower third of three-point shooters, 35%. It's pretty pathetic by his standards. But he will hit, as you know, a rare hot streak. And I immediately tweeted, live tweeted, got to do it in the fourth quarter. We need three more of those from LeBron in the fourth quarter. And you know and I know what was about to happen. LeBron was about to miss both of his threes in the fourth quarter because he disappears in the fourth. Winning time, Magic's time, has become disappearing time for LeBron down the stretch. So here we go. Lakers up two going to the fourth. Lakers up six with seven minutes remaining. And here's the untold story because I saw nobody leap upon this. Forgive me, but I'm going to tell you the truth about what happened down the stretch of this game. If you give the king in his building a six-point lead with seven minutes left, with all the momentum, don't you think he should close that? Shouldn't he finish that off? Yeah, you know he should. But he didn't because he can't anymore. I'm not sure he ever could consistently, but he can't now. Dallas went on a 15-4 run to close the game. That means the Lakers scored four points over the last seven and a half minutes of that game. And one was a wide-open dunk by LeBron, which the Mavericks just gave him near the end of the game when it was out of hand. I'm sorry, unacceptable. So it felt like Vogel's job suddenly weirdly got saved but they lost again. It felt like a moral victory for Laker Nation because did you see how hard they played? Yeah, they did. But what exactly happened or didn't happen? Well, nobody wanted to seize upon the truth. The truth was LeBron disappeared. So let's look more closely at what happened, shall we? LeBron, 5'11 left in the game. They're still up a point. Ugly turnover. Just just a bad pass, bad idea, careless. What are you doing, LeBron? Kind of turnover. Which led immediately to a run out the other way. Dwight Powell goes down and dunks it. It's what Phil Jackson used to call a compound, I don't want to say the word here, F up. Compound F up. Where it was insult leading to injury, so to, so to speak, where it was bad upon worse. So it, it was LeBron screws up and it's compound because you let them run it out the other way and get a dunk. And all of a sudden they're up one. That was the turning point of the game. That's 5'11 left. Then 4'15 left. LeBron tries his first three of the fourth quarter after that red hot, crazy hot stretch. It LeBricked. It didn't have a chance. It missed badly. 235 left. LeBron takes a like an elbow of the, the free throw line jump shot. A little bit of a fade away, but he, he likes that shot. He had made one earlier, and he missed it. Well, you can't because they're starting to pull away. Then 105 left. LeBron had another just careless lost ball turnover stolen from him by the star of the game, Luka. Took it right away from LeBron. And then LeBron ended it with 24.7 seconds left with his second three-point attempt, an air ball. 
Meanwhile, back at the ranch, here's what Luca did. Luca got a switch onto Mello with 6.05 left. And he cooked him. A little step back from maybe 13 feet. Made that on Mello, made him look pretty silly to cut it to one. Then 4.32 left, he gets the switch onto LeBron. LeBron gets down in his stance and, and gives it good body language. Made, made it look the part of playing defense. And by the way, I'm going to remind you, last year, just last year, the Lakers finished number one in defensive efficiency. They have now plummeted to 14th in the NBA in defensive efficiency. But they guard nobody. Three-point shooters, they guard nobody. Brunson was hot in the first half. They just leave him open. I, I don't get it. it. It starts and finishes with LeBron because he's just not committed to playing defense any, anymore. He, he's not in the greatest shape. He's not in the kind of shape he used to be. And he peters out in the fourth quarter. He runs out of gas in the fourth quarter. Age is starting to take hold of LeBron James, especially on the defensive end. When he, If he has to play the five on anybody, he, he can't screen anybody off. He can't get the rebounds he should. He can't protect the rim. He can't get anybody's way. He did take a late charge, which was good, but, but he does it in fits and spurts now. He can't do it consistently the way he used to when he, he's made some first-team All-NBAs. Age taking its toll on LeBron James. So LeBron on Luka, 432 left, back and forth, back and forth, Luka between the legs, between the legs. They kind of run together, and Luka says, I, I, it's a foul, but I don't care. I'm going to put my head down. I'll just go right around him. And he gets LeBron out, off balance in the lane, shoots a little six-foot dirk shot, little one-legged step back, nothing but net. And here they go. That put them up three, Dallas. And then the closing shot for Luka was three minutes left. Got LeBron again on the switch. Just absolutely cooked him. Same kind of little one-legged Dirk step back. Bottom. Put Dallas up five. That was basically it. No defense. No offense. Can't close. And so there was LeBron after the game. I always stay up to watch him live. Want to see what his demeanor is, what his attitude is. He's actually in a pretty good mood. I, I didn't see any shame. I didn't see any anger. I didn't see any bitter resolve. He did have the quote that everybody ran with, which was actually the very last question. He was about to get up. And a woman wanted to ask a question. He said, I'll stay for you. Not for you guys, but I'll stay for you. And she asked him basically, how do you just hang in? And he says, hey, I'm paraphrasing his quote, but you probably saw it or heard it, read it. Till you cut my head off, till you put me 12 feet under, I got a chance. Played well for those billions of blind witnesses out there. I'm sure they were like, yeah, LeBron, here we go. Still got a shot. And I'll, I'll admit, if, if they did get Dwight back and they did eke into the back door of the playoffs, I, you'd still look at this team and say, well, surely they got some kind of chance to do some damage in the post. I'm not talking about getting to the finals damage, but I'm talking about could they win a series? Well, the problem is 
They're, they're going to face one of those teams right out of the box, even if they make the playoffs, right? They're going to have to deal with Golden State, or they're going to have to deal with Phoenix with Chris Paul back healthy, we assume. Not sure about that. But there was LeBron post-game. He's eating an orange. I've never seen him eat anything post-game. And I'm a student of LeBron's post-games. I, I just don't remember. He's peeling an orange and eating it. Seemed pretty happy, pretty content. You know why? Because he made three threes. He made the logo three. He did just enough, he knew, to keep the blind witnesses happy. Well, LeBron did his part. And it's Westbrook's fault. It's always Westbrook's fault. And it is, because he is Westbrook. Russell Westbrook against Dallas obviously finished 5 of 17. It's unacceptable. But, but I said that. I first guessed it from the start. Who was it who said no to the Buddy Heel trade that was on the table? Who was it who said, we got to go get Russ? That person should be fired. That person is LeBron James. He wanted Russ. He, he knew if necessary that the quote-unquote goat could use Russ as a scapegoat. And yet, I, I talked to a, a long-term NBA source of mine, somebody I respect at the highest level. Can't say his name, but he has closely studied Russ from start to finish. And his point to me the other day was, Russ is exactly who he always was. Very same skill set as he had from day one in Oklahoma City. Can't shoot a lick. He used to be able to shoot free throws reasonably, at least be an average free throw shooter. Now he's at the bottom of the barrel as a free throw shooter. Never a good three-point shooter. Now he's at the bottom of the barrel of three-point shooters. Missed two more the other night. What is he, like on his last three games, I believe he's 0 for 9 from three. That's just who he is. Same skill set. But my source says, Father Time is also tapping him on the shoulder. His athletic ability isn't quite as explosive as it used to be. So all of a sudden, the worst hands of any point guard ever, ever, it, it, to my knowledge, I've been studying this game for a long time. I've never seen such bad hands. I, I frankly never seen a worse decision maker as a point guard than Russell Westbrook is. And always was. It's why Kevin Durant said, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to year 10. I can't win with him as my primary decision maker. When it was Russ and KD and OKC, it was, it was Russ's choice. He, he dribbled the ball up the floor every time, looked over at the wing and said, nah, it's my turn. Sorry, I'm going to do this. It was madness. It was lunacy. But he got away with it because he played so hard. And then he turned into a triple-double machine. Never seen anything like it. He's a slam-dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. And he has the worst hands ever of any point guard, and he can't shoot a lick. And he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I get it. But once the athleticism wanes a little bit, all of the rest becomes glaringly obvious, as is LeBron's inability to close. Win in time is now green in time for the opposition. And by the way, another source called me the other day and said, time out. 
could, could you please look at the age of Michael Jordan's last great Bulls team, the, the 98 Last Dance Bulls? Look at the ages of Jordan's last great team versus the ages of LeBron's Lakers right here, right now. What are the average age, what is the average age of, of maybe the top five in minutes played? And so I looked and the, the Bulls top five in minutes played that you remember Pippen was hurt a good deal of the year, but it was the, the average age 32.4. That was Jordan, Rodman, Harper, Kukoc, Luke Longley. Bill Winnington was 35, but he played a lot. Pippen was 33, and he obviously would play a lot through the playoffs and down the stretch. But the top five Lakers in minutes played this year, their average age is 31.6. So it's Jordan's team was almost one year older in average age in the top five minutes played. So my point is, don't give them any age excuse. They shouldn't be too old because Jordan's Bulls weren't too old. They dominated with an older average age than LeBron's team. So in the end, I sum this up by telling you that the Lakers are seven games under 500, 27 and 34, in grave danger of flat out missing the play-in tournament because of what LeBron James is no longer. Let's take a question from the audience. Let's take your questions. Let's take one from Daryl from Orlando. What's it like being such close friends with Wayne? As in, little Wayne. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little torn about talking publicly about this because I'm not bragging about it. I'm not looking to publicize it, but the reason I am going to talk about it is I am deeply proud of my relationship with Dwayne Michael Carter Jr. because he's even more of a brother to me than my real brother ever has been. That's from the depth of my heart and soul. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people look at this and say, wait a second, you're about as different as two humans could get in origin. Yeah, I, I give you that. But we are so, so much alike at our cores. Look, neither of us cares about what anybody thinks about us. I would like to think we're both our own men, that we do and say what we believe is right. And I know Wayne looks up to me and what I've achieved in my business, and I look way up to him in his creative genius. I know he's had his problems. I know he's had his issues. So have I. So have you. I love the man, and I'm so proud of him for what he has become. 
and I'm going to share this, and maybe I shouldn't, but I am. But Wayne told me the other day that when he's at the All-Star game, he talked to several people, including the great Jesse Jackson, and Jesse's message to Wayne was, there are bigger and better things for you to achieve on this planet Earth. And I believe that. I believe he does have a greater calling. That's how much respect I have for him. But for me, it goes much deeper to an even different level, to the sports level. What drew me to Wayne initially was his sports intellect. Trust me on this. Never encountered anything like Wayne's sports intellect. His passion for sports at, at the highest and deepest levels. I don't suffer fools when it comes to talking sports. I don't talk sports for fun with very many people, of any people. I pretty much stay in my own head off camera. I go at it with Shannon because I respect his sports knowledge. I dunk on him, but I respect him. I share a level playing field with Shannon Sharp. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I don't talk sports with Shannon off air because I talk enough sports with him on. There's really only one other human that I talk sports with on a regular basis who I consider not only my equal, but my superior. The one man, the one human who can make me say, man, I hadn't thought of that. That's Wayne. I, I can't explain passion to you exactly, but I'm talking about watching everything and thinking deeply about everything that ever seems to be played on television. We're the same. We share that wavelength. We can text about what's going on and it might open my eyes and I'll open his, and he'll make me laugh, and I definitely will make him laugh, especially when, during a Laker game, and he is a Laker fanatic. He takes it deeply personally when they lose. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I can't express to you how much passion I have for sports in ways that so many people I've worked with in the past in this business did not have. 
forgive me for saying this, but I've worked with so many people in the past who just fake their passion for sports because it's a job. This is my life. This is my calling, if you will. This is what I was born to do. I've worked with so many people who just skimmed the game story, maybe glanced at the box score, and then tried to come up with an opinion. My opinions are me. They're spilling in real time. I can't wait to get to the debate desk at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time the next morning to spill all over Shannon about what I saw and what I felt about what happened in that game and that game and that game and that game the night before. That's Wayne. That's me. That's our deepest connection. And yet, this is what I appreciate the most about Wayne. My wife, Ernestine, and I have gone out to visit him, I don't know, since he's moved to the West Coast, out here to the LA area. I, I don't know, we've been out there four or five times. We go every couple of months, no big deal. We usually go on a Saturday, middle of the day, like two, three o'clock, stay for two, three hours. We don't want lunch. We don't want any beverages of any kind. I, I don't even need a glass of water. We go to talk to Wayne, to share with Wayne. So we went the other day, last Saturday. We ended up standing for three hours because we were going to sit and then we immediately got to conversating and it just went and all of a sudden, I look at my watch and we've been there for three hours. But what I love the most about this is Wayne involves my wife, Ernestine. We talked a lot of sports. We talked some music, but we talked mostly sports. My wife isn't the biggest sports fan, but she lives with me, so she has no choice. And my wife is deep smart. So she loves the backstories, the soap operas, and she gets sports. Wayne loves my wife on a sister level, maybe even more than he loves me. I don't know, it's close. My wife has helped Wayne a lot with giving her two cents from a female perspective about his love life or some life issue that he has in, in ways I don't. So he wants her there and he wants her involved in the conversation. She doesn't have to sit in the car and wait. She doesn't have to watch TV. She doesn't have to bring a book to read or magazines to skim through. She is part and parcel of the conversation. And it is fun and it is funny and it gets outrageous, and for two or three hours, she is one of the guys. Not that she's normally that way or wants to be that way, but she can be. She can hang, and Wayne loves her being part and parcel of this experience. The time just flies, and so the other day, we took some pictures, and I hadn't even planned to post them, but as we're leaving, just to document, Wayne's buddy was there, DJ Scoob-Doo, and he and Ernestine clicked and hit it off, just conversating, making each other laugh. She's funny. Wayne is hilarious now. 
Maybe you don't get to see him like this, but he can be hilarious when he gets rolling and, so to speak, lets his guard down. And we take a bunch of pictures. And again, I wasn't going to post them till I saw one that I took, a candid shot of Wayne, Ernestine, and Scoob-Doo. And I just happened to catch them as they had cracked each other up. And I don't know who made the joke or what it was because I was trying to work the camera. But I caught them in mid-laugh. And I just said, you know what? I'll post a picture of me and Wayne to start with, just to sort of make it official. That's what we're doing. We went out to visit Wayne. He looked great. It's just a good shot of him. So I started with that one. And I finished with one, the one, of Ernestine cracking up with her head kind of down a little bit. It's such a great picture. It meant so much to me because it's the picture that was worth 10,000 words. It's my all-time favorite picture of my wife. She's hanging with Lil Wayne and Scoob-Doo, and she's cracked them up, or they've cracked her. I don't know exactly how it started, but... It's so real and so true and so from the heart and so not faked, not posed that I said, I, I got to post it. And it, it weirdly went viral. We saw some story about it the other night on Google's homepage. And I'm like, well, how did this happen? I, I get it, but I don't get it. But my point is, I love Wayne the most because he does love my wife in a sister way. And Wayne, I love you, man. Thank you. Here we go, and here it comes. When in time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. Premiere of Sunday night, HBO. And I will take this occasion to offer a confession. I have never, ever liked sports movies in general. I don't like the idea of sports movies. Now, I'm not talking about documentaries here. Documentaries I love. Documentaries, edge of seat, riveting. We could talk for hours about all the great docs the 30 for 30s, the HBO special. We could go on and on. We could go to Hoop Dreams. It's all-time great. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fictionalized movies, maybe based or loosely based on fact. And my problem with all of the above is, as I just pointed out to you, I am the biggest, biggest craziest, most psycho sports fan you will ever find. I live for sports, as in real live sports. I can't make them up. They're always better than fiction. I mean, we just saw the LA Rams, led by Matthew Stafford, barely beat the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl, thanks to a horrible call. 
I can't make that up. I didn't see it coming back in September, back in August. I, I'm sorry. I can't do better than that. I'm happy. I'm content. I don't need a movie to take me to a higher place. That's my pinnacle of the football season, and I loved it. And we just talked about LeBron James. The reason I don't want to see him go away is because the league needs him. The sports media needs him. He's simply the most interesting man, not just in sports right now. To me, LeBron James is the most interesting man in the history of sports. Every day, it's something. Every night, it's something with LeBron James. He makes me say, whoa. And he makes me say, wow. This man can be a psychiatrist's dream on a daily basis, and obviously he can still be an opponent's nightmare when he so chooses. Why do I need a movie to replace that? I don't. You, you can't do better than Jerry Jane, excuse me, Jerry Jones, Gerald Wayne Jones Jr. Jerry Jones? I he, he's he's like walk. Walking fiction to me. I, I've written three books that deeply involved Gerald Wayne Jones Jr. He's better than any fiction I could ever conceive, dream of, imagine. I, I don't need a movie about Jerry and Jimmy's Dallas Cowboys. And by the way, believe it or not, I once wrote a screenplay that was commissioned by a production company that wanted to make a movie of my final book on the Cowboys called Hellbent that came out after the 1995 championship season. I wrote it top to bottom. If you know anything about Hollywood, these things get optioned constantly. It got optioned. Would you write the screenplay off your, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And I did. I blew right through it. I thought it was pretty good. Never got made. I don't know exactly why. There are probably a hundred thousand reasons why it didn't get made because that's Hollywood. But I tried, and yet even as I'm writing the screenplay, I'm thinking my book was so much better than the screenplay because my book's the truth. You know, it's like it actually happened. We don't need to sort of fictionalize it. I know the executive producer wanted a little more where we we got a little funny with the truth, where we sort of took it over the edge into different directions. I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I know the truth. I live the truth. And I'm not going to fudge the truth. That brings me to winning time. I'm not sure how liberal with the truth they got. But there's only one reason I'm going to watch this HBO show, which again premieres Sunday. It's because the creator of this for television is one Adam McKay, and he's a genius. And if you know movies, you know that Adam McKay and Will Ferrell collaborated on two of my all-time favorite comedies, Anchorman and Talladega Nights. Obviously, Will Ferrell took over both. And by the way, 
I have worked in this business with several Ron Burgundies in the past, and maybe in a future Skip Bayless show, I'll get into some of that. But I love both of those. And then Adam McKay turned right around and went pretty serious with the big short, and it was sensational. And then he turned right around here recently and did Don't Look Up, and I thought it was hilariously profound. He's got genius to him. So I will watch the rise of the Laker dynasty. But my problem is, I was there. I already know it. I covered so many of the biggest games. I was around Dr. Buss, as in Jerry Buss. He's right up there with Jerry Jones as a fictional character who's larger than life and better than fiction in real life. I got to know Magic when he was a rookie. I had a big sit down with Magic when I was working in Dallas when he was a rookie. And I clicked with him. I guess everybody clicks with Magic, but I, but I did. And I liked him then and I love him now. And I know all about him. I know the good, the bad, the ugly. I know everything. I think. I, I think I know just about everything. And I don't really need to see it in a movie, in a series. I'm, I'm already good with it. But I'll watch. Just because if Adam McKay says, I'm in, then I'm in. But now, for my gut feeling about sports movies, and forgive me for this, it, it's almost like I, I got to give you a spoiler alert, as in, I don't want to spoil your love for the movies I'm about to discuss. But all the great sports movies I, I have issues with. I walked out of the theater with issues. And maybe it's just because I don't like them, period. And I went in with a jaded point of view. I went in with low expectations, which got lower. Maybe it's just me. So if, if you want to disqualify, if you want to click off right now, maybe you should as a spoiler alert. But let, let's start with Hoosiers, shall we? Hoosiers. It's number one on a lot of people's lists, all-time greatest sports movies. I, I like parts of it. I thought Gene Hackman was sensational, commanding, scary good. And Dennis Hopper won a lot of awards portraying the alcoholic father. It's a little close to home for me because I lived that, but... He was great. The movie, I, I don't know. I'm just a little squeamish with the premise of the movie. With the, the underlying message of Hoosiers is that, that these white kids come together and they end up outworking and outcompeting and outperforming the all-black team that is supremely talented, but maybe not quite as disciplined as the white kids become. It just doesn't sit well with me, and it didn't when I walked out of the theater, even though it's based, as you know, on a true story. And 
The flip side of that was Spike Lee's He Got Game. And I'm a big Spike fan. And I'm not saying He Got Game, Spike's greatest, do the right thing. I can go on and on. But Spike went for grim reality. And he got Ray Allen to basically play himself, Jesus Shulsworth. But as a high school star, it was Ray Allen playing Ray Allen. It worked. He looked the part. He played the part. He acted the part. And you're playing opposite Denzel, greatest living actor, greatest powerhouse in the history of acting to me. And it was grim reality. And you can argue it was tough to watch certain points. Father versus son. Denzel obviously incarcerated at that point in prison. Let out briefly. Trying to come to terms with each other. But... I'll take he got game over Hoosiers. That's just me. Let's do baseball quickly. Everybody loves Field of Dreams and Bull Durham, and I'm sorry I don't because they're just too sappy for me. They're just too silly. They're not real. That's not right. I, I need reality, and those were unreality to me. And if you like that romanticizing of the baseball past, or baseball's minor leagues, God bless you, but I don't. I'm rolling my eyes. I, I'm out. G give me the natural, even though it got to be supernatural, but Robert Redford, I bought as Roy Hobbs. I, I just bought it. It was written in, in the deepest reality, and it worked for me on, on every level, and I'm not saying I loved it, but I liked it and I could watch it again tonight. And this one you probably don't even know, but it is a favorite of mine. It's Eight Men Out. Go watch it if you want to. It will rock you and it will wreck you. And it's John Cusack and early Charlie Sheen. It's the Black Sox scandal in 1919. They threw World Series games because they didn't make enough money. And... It's real, and it's true, and it's riveting. And then flip side in baseball is Major League. I laughed. You know why? Because it's the caddyshack of baseball. Major League gets baseball. That's why the satire works, because it's real. It's, it's a little over the top with the Charlie Sheen character, but, but, but it's pretty close to real. And it's laughably correct. Which brings me to Caddyshack. Just like I'm a sports addict, I'm also a golf addict. And I can't help myself. And maybe in a future podcast, I'll talk about my love and hate of golf. But I'm obsessed. And I do love hate it. But I know it. And Ernestine and I watched Caddyshack again just a few nights back because it still works, because it gets golf, and it's hilarious because it gets it at the deepest level, and it satirizes it at the deepest country club level, and it's, it's a classic line or scene every two or three minutes. It's the llama. It's be the ball. It's na-na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na-na. 
it, it's so great that my late great friend Payne Stewart, the U.S. Open champ who died in a plane crash, once told me that in his first trip to Augusta to play the Masters, he put on Caddyshack in the car so he could watch it as he drove up Magnolia Drive toward the Augusta Clubhouse. Now that's irreverent, but that was Payne Stewart. And I got it because I get everything, everything, Cinderella story. I could go on and on. So I got two favorite sports movies. One is Caddyshack, and you're going to laugh at the other one, and you'll probably completely disqualify me, but it's because of my love and knowledge of golf. It's Tin Cup. It just works for me because the Kevin Costner character, and Kevin can play golf. He, he, he can make you buy the fact that he was a player, an amateur who was leading the U.S. Open, and I've got a lot of Roy McAvoy in me, I got a lot of go for broke. And for him to have the US Open in the palm of his hand and go for broke on 18, go for two over water on the par five 18th, it's me. It's what I do every day on Undisputed. It works. I could watch it again tonight. I've watched it recently because it works on lots of levels, even the love story level. It just works for me because it really gets golf. It's right, it's true. It's real, and yet I'll end with boxing. What swept the Academy Awards that year? Million Dollar Baby. I walked out of Million Dollar Baby. I love Clint Eastwood when he was playing the man with no name or Dirty Harry, got it. When he started to direct, to write, to produce, I'm out. Sappy, maudlin, manipulative, just silliness. I'm out. Million Dollar Baby, I walked out. I won an Oscar pool because I picked it to win everything because I just knew it would. Brings me to what's not really a movie, but a film, a real film. Of all the sports movies, it's the one that qualifies as a film, and that's Raging Bull. It's De Niro's only best supporting, uh, excuse me, best actor uh, Oscar. And it's another one that's hard to watch, but it's the grim reality of boxing, Jake LaMotta at the highest or lowest level, the obsession in and out of the ring. And, and yet, as much as I respect it, I didn't walk, walk out of the theater loving Raging Bull. And I'll wind up with Rocky. I saw it on opening weekend. I was working out here in Los Angeles. Went to the theater, everybody was raving, got to see it, and I did. It's a fairy tale. You know it and I know it. It's a Disney fairy tale without the Disney. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. I didn't really need it because I see Rocky's in real life sports constantly. I even had a cameo that was a key cameo, a crucial cameo in Rocky Balboa. I still get little checks for it. Thank you, 
Sly, appreciate that very much. It was something that I said on TV that drove Sly's character, Rocky, out of retirement. But do I love the franchise? No, I don't. Because I get to see the franchise nearly every single night in real time, in real sports, on real live television. So give me Caddyshack, give me Tin Cup, and sue me. If, if you don't like it, I get it. But I'll hang with those as my two all-time favorite sports movies just because in the end, I can't wait to see how this NBA season pans out because that will be better than when in time could ever hope to be. Let's go back to one of your questions. Let's go to Monty from El Segundo, California. How does your routine change when you're off from Undisputed? This is a painful question for me, Monty, and I appreciate you asking it. I am the worst vacationer in the history of vacations. I hate vacations. Because Ernestine's still in the pandemic paranoia stage. We just did a staycation. Again, yet another. And I love my wife and The beauty of our relationship is I've never spent one second with her that I was bored. And I abused our relationship for the past six months. These were six grueling months through the football season. We work holidays. I worked through a bout of COVID myself. It was one thing after another, after another. Six gruelingly great months in which Last three months, ratings through the roof. Thank you. I I feel like I almost die for the cause. I don't do it for ratings, although in the end, that's all that really matters. I do it because I live for it. And if you tell me I can't, it nearly kills me, tears my soul out to take vacations. I'm, I'm sorry, I'd rather be doing Undisputed I'm doing this podcast to scratch the itch just a little bit. I tweet on every big game while I'm on quote unquote vacation because that's what I tell Ernestine. Big games, I'm going to watch whether you like it or not. Every waking moment I spend with her, I do play golf. Sometimes she goes, sometimes she drives the car for me. I love to have her out there. I actually play better when she goes with me just to watch me with my buddies. They love having her out there, one of the guys. But we binge watch, we watch movies. We finished 1883, is that not a rough watch in the end? Now we're deeply involved in In From The Cold and we did all kinds of movies. We did In The Heat Of The Night from 1967. If you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. Started watching it. I saw it when it came out, but I couldn't remember it. Sidney Poitier. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Got to see it. We watched that. 
than we watched something called No Exit on Hulu. I kind of liked it. Ernestine couldn't watch it because it got so bloody. But we have eclectic all over the map tastes and we have binged lots and lots of TV slash movies. We actually went to the movies for the first time in two years the other day just to see Death on the Nile because we're Agatha Christie fans in eclectic tastes. And I know who done it because I've known who done it for a long time, but I wanted to see how Kenneth Branagh did it. And it's much more beautiful on the big screen than on the little one. So I actually talked Ernestine into two masks, a shield, and we'll go to the movies here in West LA. And we did. Who knew? But the truth is, I cannot wait for Monday. I cannot wait for Undisputed to return because I would have been much happier doing Undisputed straight through. I, I live on vacation. Undisputed is better than vacation for me. And I thank you for watching it. And I can't wait to sit across from Shannon in his schoolum again on Monday. Let's take one more from the audience, shall we? One of your questions, and I love answering your piercing, probing questions. How about Tavon from Salt Lake City? Okay, you got me here. If you had to predict an NBA champion right here, right now, which team are you riding with? What a weird year it has been. I'm trying to ride with, if not die with, my preseason pick, the Brooklyn Nets. I am hanging on for dear life because I don't think they have much life left. I thought Kevin Durant would return from his sprained knee right after the All-Star break. It is troubling he has not returned. I thought maybe Kyrie would have a chance of playing home games sooner than later, and I'm still not sure about that. In fact, I'm decreasingly sure about his ability to be allowed to play even in playoff home games. Not sure about that. Even if he is allowed to play, we're getting so late in the game that on continuity, on chemistry, on figuring each other back out, the clock is just about to run out on the Brooklyn Nets, which brings me to Ben Simmons. I'm a fan. I backed him. I've supported him. It is deeply troubling that he has not played at least three games coming out of the All-Star break. I don't get it. Now he has a back injury. I am skeptical. I am suspicious. Does he still have some psychological demons lurking? It's a bad sign. He needs to figure out KD, Kyrie, and the rest, Patty Mills. Will they get Joe Harris back? It's starting to look more and more doubtful. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me right now. So I look around and I say, I like but don't love Milwaukee and Miami and Chicago. Brings me to Philadelphia. I love Joel Embiid. I don't love Joel plus James Harden because on a trustability scale of one to 10 going into the playoffs, those two combined are about a two for me. Something will go wrong 
with one or the other. It will be an injury. It will be a disappearing act on James Harden's part. He cannot be trusted in big playoff games. You know it, and I know it. Joel can be, but can he overcome James' disappearing acts? I don't think so. In the West, I like but don't love Phoenix. Now they've lost Chris Paul. How will that affect them going into the playoffs? In Golden State, teetering, lost six of eight. I, I, I still like them. I'm still intrigued, but I don't love them, which brings me to my right here, right now pick. If you force me, gun to head. I'm picking Memphis. I've loved them for two months. I've said it repeatedly on Undisputed. Obviously, Ja Morant has literally skyrocketed into superstardom. He has become a human highlight film a la Dominique back in the 80s on a nightly basis. Jaw dropping. They're taking off. They're growing up right before your very eyes. They've won eight of 10. They've almost caught Golden State. They're going to pass Golden State. I love the toughness and presence Stephen Adams has brought them. And they're about to get Dylan Brooks back. As you know, he's a ferocious defender. He's a tough guy of the highest level. He will bring them even more competitiveness, even more fight, even more swagger. This team is legit. This team is coming for the rest of the NBA. And John knows what a big fan I am of his. I said I would take Zion slightly over jaw coming out just because Zion was so much bigger, so much stronger. And when Zion was right, was he ever right? But I'm not sure he's ever going to be right again. I'm not sure about his commitment to supreme excellence, to getting himself right, to cleaning up his diet, to getting himself healthy. I'm, I'm just not sure he loves basketball at the highest level, and that's all Jaw does. He worked so hard in the offseason to improve his shooting, and he improved it. He can now launch their set shots, but he can launch those logo threes a la Steph and Dame, if necessary, to swing momentum. He's got guts. He's got courage. He's got attack mentality. He is afraid of nobody. This team is afraid of no other team. And if I had to pick it, and you could say it's the longest shot I could imagine, right now I just like, my, my eye test is telling me I like Memphis more than I like anybody else in what has turned into a fascinating National Basketball Association. That is it for episode eight. I want to thank you for listening and or watching, if you're watching. I want to say a big thank you to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. I want to say thank you to Tyler Horn for producing this show. Remember, Undisputed returns Monday. Thank God. 
The Skip Bayless Show returns next week.